0: What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of audacity and advice where their wheels and yours get turned upside down.
1: Hey guys, happy Wednesday. It's Rachel Silver Cohen. So you know what that means. It's another episode where we have ditched the couch. We're grabbing the mics. Dr. Boca and I are breaking down all the unpolished wreckage on the corner of Audacity and Advice. Good morning, Dr. Boca.
2: Good morning, Rach. How you doing? I am doing. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I love our Wednesdays, and we're going to get right into it today. I don't know about you, but I don't know if there's something in the air or if it's just where we're at, you know, here we are just coming off of the heels of vacation mode. But I've had a lot of people reach out to me. I don't know if they've reached out to you, but just with questions about divorce. In my practice, I'm getting a lot of people who are coming in with questions about divorce as well. And I thought it would be great if we would bring on a divorce attorney just to kind of answer those questions. I'm sure you, Rach, will have questions as well, as will I, so that I can help educate both my friends and my patients. So I brought on, and I don't know how familiar you are, with one of the people that I think is a wonderful human being and I hear is a wonderful divorce attorney, Mara Bernstein. Are you aware of who she is? Yes, I know Mara. Not
1: super, super well, but we bonded several years ago because, you know, I have like 17 names, but my birth middle name on my birth certificate is Mara. So I always love a good Mara, and Mara is certainly well-versed in her field. So I'm so happy that you invited her on. The Corner of Audacity and Advice today. So fantastic.
2: Yeah. And I love bringing on great professionals because this way, when they get unpolished, I don't feel so bad about getting unpolished myself. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Mara. Mara knows the divorce and family law matters are anything but one size fits all. She provides her clients with effective and efficient alternatives to expensive, prolonged, and oftentimes destructive divorce litigation. She has been a seasoned divorce litigator and is an accredited and experienced collaborative divorce attorney and Supreme Court certified divorce mediator. She's also a guardian ad litem, representing the rights of children in high conflict divorce cases. Her practice focuses exclusively on all aspects of divorce, divorce consulting, pre-divorce planning, and coaching, as well as the negotiation and drafting of prenups and postnups agreements. Mara is a member of the Florida Board, the Florida Law Section. It's going to be exhausting. She's a member of everything. The New York State Bar, South Palm Beach County Bar Association, it goes on and on and on, which only speaks to her ability and her capabilities of helping you through the whole life cycle of the divorce process. She's a philanthropist as well, where she sits on the board of trustees of the Falk Center, as well as a founding member of the Sophia Grace Fund and Free Arts of New York City. So rather impressive. And here we have today with us, Mara Bernstein. Welcome, Mara. Good morning. Thank you both for having me. Thank you for coming.
1: Thank you, Mara, for coming. It's another guest with a lot of letters
2: after her name. I don't know. Dr. Book, I feel like you're sabotaging me here. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. Come on, Rach. You know those letters. Although they mean a lot and there was a lot of work involved in them, people that don't have letters are oftentimes more impressive. So don't get down on anyone for not having letters here.
1: All right, if okay. you
2: say so. Anyway, Mara,
1: thank you for joining us. I know this is definitely a hot topic, the D word, and I'm not even sure where to start with the exception of that in today's world, divorce is just, it's sort of like past the potatoes. And by the way, I'm getting divorced. And I don't know if COVID necessarily had anything to do with that. I'm pretty sure that probably the numbers have gone up as a result of everyone being on top of each other. But if we can just like take it maybe from the beginning, why divorce? Of all of the types of law that you could practice, why did you find yourself with family law? Locked divorce, et cetera, et cetera?
3: That's a question I get asked all the time. I have a social work background. I went to law school. I was very, very idealistic. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to empower people. I wanted to be an advocate. And my law school professor was a very well-known divorce attorney. And I love working with people. I love problem solving. And he asked me to come work with him. That was three decades ago. And I've been doing it ever since in a very different way than I did it before, my practice has transformed very much over the years.
2: So I'm curious, you know, with a social work background, I often joke as the psychologist, when I go get my hair and my nails done, that I feel like, oh, their job is not so different than mine. It's just that they get to let them leave like feeling and looking good and I oftentimes have my patients leaving like you know with their mascara running down their face. Do you get to use your social work expertise and degree when you're working? And I also understand that you do this collaborative divorce and I'm not actually sure what that is and I'm not, I'm assuming since I am questioning what it is. I'm sure our listeners are as well but does that mix in with that social work background?
3: So listen, most people come to divorce lawyers feeling very, very vulnerable, very, very afraid, anxious, insecure. And they look to their divorce attorneys sometimes as therapists. I am not a therapist. In fact, one of the things that I tell people when they come to see me is it's really important. Do you have a therapist? Mm. Not that there's anything wrong with you. You're completely appropriate, but because divorce is so difficult, you need someone to be objective and supportive. And you really need to develop tools and resilience to be able to get through the entire process. So I don't act as a therapist. I think my social work skills do come into play because I'm a good listener. I have skills for reflecting and mirroring and understanding and holding space for people. So I think that's a lot of it for me. And the other thing is being a problem solver and really partnering with clients and listening to them in a way that is different than a lot of other attorneys might do it without my background.
1: And that, I think, is a perfect place to kind of jump into this collaborative divorce, as Dr. Yeah. Broken mentions, that you focus on. The little bit that I know about it is kind of just what you said. It's an approach from a problem-solving standpoint and also a solution-focused standpoint which I think is so fantastic because people like me, and I guess I don't... I'm pigeonholing just myself. I think people in general, from our background years and years and years ago, we think divorce and we think things like contention and anger and literal fist fighting. What I do, I go back, I think of War of the Roses and I'm thinking of Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner and the two of them literally wanting to rip each other's hair out. And I'm sweating just thinking about that. So Mm -hmm. let's give you the floor, Mara, if you wouldn't mind and explain to the listeners. What exactly is collaborative divorce?
3: So I'm really, really glad that I'm on this show because people always think that I only do collaborative divorce and I don't. I was a litigator for many years in New York City. The reason that I do not do litigation anymore is because I don't believe in litigation. Yes, there are some cases that must be litigated, domestic violence, someone is hiding assets, someone is Mm -hmm. not being transparent. 90% of cases should not be in the court system. These are not commercial litigation issues, okay? Maybe 3% of cases go to trial. Most cases settle before Mm -hmm. they go to court. So my concept and my firm is divorce different, okay? So what I do is I meet clients where they are. So I find out what their goals are, what their objectives are, what's important to them, where they want to go, and who their spouse is, what's important to their spouse, what are his or her Achilles heels. How can we resolve this case in a way that makes sense in a problem-solving way? Now, one of the tools I use is, in fact, collaborative, but that's not the only thing because collaborative is not right for everyone. So I do a lot of different kind of creative things. I might mediate the case by myself and bring in a forensic accountant. Mm -hmm. And I might say to the clients, listen, I can't give you legal advice. I'm going to issue spot for you and I'm going to be a facilitator. And just so you know, we have a forensic accountant here who's going to make sure that everything is legit. But at the end of the day, you should speak to a consulting attorney and make sure that you understand that you're educated. Saves a lot of time, a Mm -hmm. shitload of money.
2: Mm -hmm. and."
3: people are generally happier because they participated in the process. The other thing that people say to me all the time is, "Oh, aren't you the lawyer who does nice divorces, amicable divorces?" Not at all. The people that I deal with are all the same. They're getting divorced, mm-hmm. okay? There's a lot of anger, there's a lot of resentment, there's a lot of pain. There's everything and anxiety involved in it. So, I'm dealing with the same people who are getting divorced, but these are people who are choosing to problem solve the divorce privately outside of the court system, because most people don't realize that when they get divorced, their financial information is in the public Mm -hmm. record. Their marital settlement agreement is in the public record. Okay. I don't think that you want your kids or your neighbors or your former employees or employees to see all this. Most people don't realize this. So the way that I do it, it's private. You maintain control over the timing and the decision making. And also by and large, it's less expensive. So people have to be educated about divorce and not always to go to, you know, someone they say is the shark, this guy's an asshole, this guy's a killer. You know what? That doesn't serve people well because you're generally dealing with someone whose ego Mm -hmm. is more important than their clients. I'm not naming names because (laughs) I won't do that. But But
1: that's also, not to interrupt you, but that's also probably why divorced attorneys in general get such a bad rap and their reputation precedes them because when we talk about nobody wins at the end of the day in a divorce except, and then you can fill in the blank, yes the divorce attorney right the
3: interesting thing is that even though these people have bad reputations people still keep on going to them it's amazing right. it, mm. it is amazing it's amazing why would you do that why would you he's a killer he's this he's that i think it's a mentality of win or lose and mm-hmm. the, there's no winning or losing. There's compromise, mm-hmm. especially when there are kids involved. And there are so many intricacies to divorce. It's not only the law, there are logistics involved in it. Sure. So it's not, you know, oh, this guy, you know, is great in the courtroom. Most of the work does not take place in the courtroom. Most mm-hmm. of the work takes place out of the courtroom. So it's a lot about education. And I think that. Boca is maybe not the most evolved place. If I was in New York City, I would have a fabulously successful practice because there are more people who are aware of it and there's a Mm -hmm. large community. But I think by educating people, and that's why I was excited to come on this podcast because my goal really is to empower my clients and to get them to a better place. And because I've been in bad places in my life and I've had some hard stuff, I know how to do that. And I know how to counsel people how to do that.
2: So- I love that. And I love that you're here acknowledging the education and acknowledging that all divorce isn't one size fits all. Everybody has different nuances. So I just have a question to the point of trying to, you know, make it problem solving and solution focused. What if one partner wants to do it that way, but the other partner is not loving the idea that, oh, you know, let's say the The husband found you and then goes back to the wife and says, hey, she's going to mediate this for us. And then the wife says, well, I don't want the person you found mediating it. That's unfair. Or another situation might be that, you know, the wife comes to you and she's like, I really want to make this between he and I. And I really just want to make it simple. And we'll do kind of the beginnings of the financials and the children and kind of figuring out what the logistics are going to be. And then they get sort of the way through it. And then it blows up and now they're in this space of, oh shit, and now I need to find an attorney. So how does that all work? And do you see that? Because that's what I'm kind of thinking in my head. Like it all sounds good. I got but that
3: covered. I got that covered. You got so that covered.
2: I tell people
3: when they come to see me that my goal is to resolve the case privately. I call it private divorce, whether it's collaborative, whether well, it's med- mediation, whether it's settlement negotiations, whatever you want to call it. If in fact we can't resolve it, I have litigation counsel. I call him my asshole. <laughs> so if I feel at it gets to a point in time where this has to go to court, this negotiation is not serving you, your soon-to-be ex is being disingenuous or his or her attorney is not playing by the rules and people are hiding or there's fraud, it has to go to court, I bring someone in and I step out. But the intention is always to move forward outside of court.
1: Mara, I know collaborative divorce is private, but if you just mediate a case or you have arbitration, let's say, that doesn't end up in a courtroom with a judge, with two people battling it out, is that also private?
3: Or it it can be private. So when we talk about private, we talk about not going to court. So that's private. We don't have filings, right? Very vanilla filings, right? We live in a no fault state. When I practiced in New York City, that's how I started. I worked with a very, very well known divorce litigator. The petitions were full of abuse, adultery. It's no Mm -hmm. longer like that. But there are things in the filings that are very, very personal. So the bottom line is that you can get divorced. And in some instances, you can forego filing your marital settlement agreement with the court. There are certain buzzwords, there are certain cases that you could put in there. And I've been very, very successful in doing that.
1: So like if someone is served with divorce papers and it's just irreconcilable differences, someone had to file it. Does that mean it's now public or you go back after and say, we want to seal this?
3: No, you don't seal it. The divorce is public. The contents of the divorce, the financial affidavits, the parenting plans, what you're going to do selling your house, how much you have in a 401k. That is not going to be in the public record. I say. Interesting.
2: You know what? That's great information. I'm sure our listeners. Is that something that happens in any state or are we just talking specific to Florida where you can have a private divorce?
3: So there is collaborative divorce all around the country. Okay. And there's mediation all around the country. I am licensed in New York, although I haven't been active for a little while, so I can't really speak to that whether it's happening now, but here we've been successful in doing that. And for people, you know, I've represented high net worth or people who are public figures. Mm -hmm. There are times where I file in counties, I don't even know where, you know, in Lee County in counties where you would never even expect a Palm Beach County resident or Dade County resident, nobody would look. Gotcha.
1: As you're talking, my head is spinning a little bit and that is what happens here on the corner of audacity and advice. Our wheels and your wheels get spun upside down. My wheels are really getting spun upside down because it's like, A, I don't know if I'm having PTSD a little bit, but B, I don't know if I have questions or if I just like have a rant coming because like... No fault, your fault, My fault. Like I don't understand why, in some states, you do one thing wrong and it's a big, no, no, and it's your fault. In other states are like, "Ah, it's not a big deal. You know, we're just going to turn the other way. I don't understand why, Mara, divorce for some takes eleven minutes and a weekend. And in other scenarios, these damn people have been getting divorced longer than my children have been born. And I have one who's going to college next year. So can you please help us break this down as best as you can? Again, generically, this is not real legal advice, everyone out there. We are just kicking the can down the road here on Unpolished Therapy. But Mara, I'm hoping you can help debunk some of these legalities.
3: I think they're less legalities and more... Who people choose to work with in their divorces. Listen, litigation is very, very time intensive. Mm-hmm. There are tons of adjournments, tons of delays, delaying tactics, mm-hmm. depositions, interrogatories, you name it. And that's not to say that in other ways of resolving marital difficulties, that we don't do those things because it's still divorce. I -hmm. still hire forensic accountants where there are kid issues. I still work with child psychologists. It's just very different. So number one is the way you do it. And number two is it's human nature. Some people just need to go through that process. They need to have a judge hear their story when in fact... The judge is so overloaded. It's <laughs> not even relevant. The judge doesn't care. Doesn't care. It's an everyday occasion for the judge. So I think it depends on the people. And the bottom line is when someone walks into my office and tells me about a case, I could basically assess within a very, very short span how the case should should be resolved.
2: Does it usually resolve that way? Yes,
3: okay. when people stay out of court, when people go to court, what happens is that they lose control. It's yeah. like going to Las Vegas. A judge might not like, you know, might like not like the wife. He might think that the wife is, I don't know, he just might not like her. He might not like the husband. The attorney might say the wrong thing. The judge gets a snapshot So people really need to understand that. I don't think that litigation will ever go away. And I think that it serves a very, very important purpose in a
2: lot of cases, but most cases, no. So I have a question to that point. So somebody who doesn't go for collaboratively and winds up being inside the courtroom and goes to litigation, is that what differentiates like situations of how long you're getting alimony for, how much money someone's getting, because I'm putting it into context. Lots of people come to me and be like, I got so screwed. I don't understand how my friends get divorced and are, you know, entitled to either lifetime alimony, years of alimony, or they get so much more money and I got only this much of nothing. And now I'm like shit out of luck for the rest of my life. Like what happened that this one got screwed and this one had this great turnout financially is it they use bad attorneys? Is it that they didn't do collaborative? Is it that they went to litigation? And like you said, the judge just doesn't give a shit and didn't like the wife. What happened? There's
3: so, there's so many reasons for that. Again, I don't only do collaborative. It's one right. part of what I do. And in everything that I do, just because I don't go to court, we still rely on the law. We're Mm -hmm. still lawyers. We're still being lawyers. It's not like we're sitting around the table holding hands. We're (laughs) not. People are pissed. Lawyers are fighting. We're looking at the law. The reason why there are differentials is number one, every case is so incredibly fact sensitive. There's no formula for alimony in the state of Florida. There are many, many, many factors that go into it. So that's number one. Number two Judges rule differently in different counties. It's all Mm -hmm. different. Number three, it's also the war of attrition. Okay. Some Mm -hmm. people can withstand going through divorce longer than others. There Mm -hmm. are some people who say, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to take it. I just need to move on with my life. Mm -hmm. You know, people like that.
2: Sure. Mm -hmm. So I know that Rachel really wants to get in here. I just want a quick question because this question was posed to me quite recently and again, we're talking Florida right now, but I know that there was a bill literally on the docket for DeSantis to sign that was getting rid of lifetime alimony. And I had a couple of my patients and friends reach out to me and they're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Am I going to be grandfathered in? Is this?" And everybody was confident he was signing it. He was signing it. It's my understanding he did not sign it. But do we think that that's going to be signed into law? Do we think that that's now going to completely be off the table? I know it's speculation. I think it's going to be back on the table. Yeah. Yeah. But let me jump in and just ask, like, why is that something that
1: even is popping up now? Like, what happens between when it was how it was, and now it's on the docket to make some changes? I get the world changes, you got to move with the cheese. But what is that process? And who are the people, Mara, who are requesting this?
3: There are lobbyists in Tallahassee right. who want permanent alimony to be abolished. There are alimony payers. There, I don't know. There are many, many groups who are who want it, who are wanting this to happen. And everyone needs to know that permanent alimony is not permanent. That's something people know need to know. Kind of like never say never. <laughs> never it's it's not permanent. It's not till the payer dies. Okay. It's till the payer retires if there's a modification, things happen. And for the most part, my client base is more sophisticated women. Women. I have a lot of women clients and evolved men. Women and evolved men. Okay. And a lot of my practice is I'm adding I'm actually adding an adjunct to my practice, which is going to be divorce consulting for people who are thinking about divorce in the midst of the divorce and after divorce. And I have professionals that I work with because divorce is not a one dimensional event. It's not Mm -hmm. it's not it's not an event. It's it's part of process. It's a process and it's part of your being for the time before you get divorced, while you're getting divorced and after. It affects every aspect of your life, emotionally, financially, and there's so many logistics involved in that. So when my clients are relying on permanent alimony, you know what I say to them? Mm -mm -mm. You need to start thinking about what you want to do for your life if they're not working right now, because it's a really, really terrible thing to be reliant on someone else for your financial future?
1: So if I can just jump in, I would like to say, and I know our loyal listeners that have been with us from the jump on Unpolished Therapy know that I've spoken about this topic several times in different episodes we've had. But if there is one thing that I have said once, I will say it a million times as a divorced woman myself, that women whether you're contemplating divorce or not, and I'm actually going to say to the or nots out there, figure out a passion, figure out something to do other than being somebody's wife and somebody's mom. Okay. Because the best thing that you can do for yourself is to remember you are your own self. And when the shit hits the fan and I'm not, hoping that it does. I certainly hope everyone lives long, strong, happy, lottie lottie family marital lives, but when the time potentially comes, and you don't know who the hell you are, because even if you are happily married, as you get older, your kids get older, they don't need you as much, your life as you know it starts to shift and change, your body certainly starts to shift and change, your memory starts to go, you're sagging, you're this, you're that, you know, the rant can go on and on. You have to have something for yourself, and as a divorced woman now of several years, I say it every single day. I don't want to do the what have should have, could, have, but I wish I never had given up my career then when I mm-hmm. had babies because I would be in a different situation than I am now. And you can't go backwards. I'm, I'm happily divorced, but financially that's a thing. Money. We always say it doesn't solve all your problems, but let me tell you something. God damn it. It helps. I love that you were saying that you are focused on these empowering women, evolved men, but also strong women who are in the working world. And we're in a society now where we're constantly hearing about women empowerment and equality and leaning in and women breaking the glass ceiling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder when you practiced years ago to now, how the mindset of these women have shifted because there are so many more women now that have high power jobs. And I'm, I see it in some of my own friend groups where it's the daddies who are the stay at home daddies. And I wonder what that looks like when we talk about alimony and what do I get and how we're dividing assets from back in the day where the men were just so pissed that they had to work their whole careers and then give up half versus now these women who are high-powered, career-driven
3: females. Well, now we're dealing with pissed women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have to pay men alimony. And there's nothing worse than that. Mm. I mean, for a woman. Listen, I have two daughters and I tell my daughter's Very, very often, no matter what you do, no matter who you marry, how rich he is or she is, no matter what, always have something of your own. And I can really say that speaking from my own experience, because I've had a lot of hard stuff in my own life. I had a very sick husband for a very, very long time who passed away and we lost all our money, all our money. And I had to go back and take the bar exam here 10 years ago. And I had him practice for a while because I was taking care of him for such a long time. And without that, without that, without having that, I don't know where I would be. Mm-hmm. I really don't. So mm-hmm. I really speak from experience and I speak from a place of when I tell my clients, I know where you are. And I don't tell my clients my personal business, but. Right. I know where they've been. It's a, it's a terrible feeling to be very vulnerable and be beholden to someone and not know what you're going to do in your life and be so unempowered, disempowered. There's nothing worse than that, to be vulnerable like that. So my job is when people come to see me, I say to my clients, I want you to really take some time. You could even close your eyes right now and think about it. What do you want your life to look like? I want you to keep on visualizing during this whole process. What do you want your life to look like? Where do you want to live? Who do you want to be friends with? Where do you want to work? What matters to you? Because It's very, very important to have purpose and meaning in their lives. Mm -hmm. And when they do, they're more successful in their Mm -hmm. divorce.
2: I think, Mara, what you just said is spot on. And Rachel, to your point also, it's when we know ourselves and we have the confidence and the self-worth to be able to know that we are being true to ourselves, we are capable and able and can stand on our own two feet then everything else, it's never easy. But at least you know that no matter what, you're going to get through it. A lot of times I've had a lot of patients come to me and I've also had a lot of friends say to me, I can't leave. I used to be a speech pathologist. I used to be a teacher. I used to be a lawyer. I used to be whatever. And I let that lapse because I came and supported my significant other's profession. And now I can't go anywhere because I can't financially support whether it's my children or myself. So, having that and knowing that you can fall back to that, even if you took the 10 years off, keep the continuing ed going, keep your license active, keep whatever it is, keep one foot in, even if you hate it, even if you can't do it, It doesn't have to be a permanent thing, but it gives you the strength to be able to make a decision and not feel trapped in something.
3: I completely agree with you. And I just want to say that. Even if you don't have a profession, a career, a job, you're not an earner. There are always next chapters Mm -hmm. in your life. There's always a next chapter. And you have to use your resources and be very, very curious about it. Because staying in a relationship when you're very, very unhappy and your children are exposed to that. Life is really precious and it's to be lived. And we see so many people who are so unhappy. Maybe it means changing your lifestyle a little bit. It's a mm-hmm. cost-benefit analysis. Would you rather stay in an unhappy marriage and live in a gorgeous house? Or would you rather be happy and sort of tailor, take it in a little bit? It's okay. Yeah, People come to me and I'm not judgmental because I can't be judgmental in what I do. It's very, very, very hard to get divorced. That's why I always say it takes a village.
1: And then it takes a village once you are divorced because you need someone to help pick up the slack. And by someone, I mean the village. Which leads me to another question I have for you, Mara, which sounds a little bit like this. Again, on, on Polish Therapy, we hate cliches, but when it comes to divorce, there are a lot of cliches, right? We talk about single moms, single dads. Oh, I'm a single mom. I'm a single dad. But are they really single parents if they are still co-parenting? Now, again, I, I, we're not getting out like the Urban Dictionary or the Unpolished Dictionary. Yeah. But from a legal standpoint, sometimes, you know, I say like, oh, I'm a single mom. And then sometimes I retract that because I don't want to be disrespectful to the fact that my children have another parent. It's just that we're not parenting together, even though we're, quote unquote, co-parenting. So what are your thoughts on that?
3: So you're a single mom who's co-parenting with your former spouse, right? Ooh,
1: I love that. Okay. That, was, that was a
2: very <laughs> elegant way to say it. Okay, <laughs> fine. Hold on. Let me write that down and put it oh, on my cheek. But to that point, okay, so then I've stumbled upon this and other people, so I'm assuming our listeners have. What's the difference then between being separated? Is there such a thing as a legal separation? Is there like all of that? Like What happens in that gray area that nobody talks about? That's a great question. I'm glad
1: you asked that because that was something I wanted to jump on the heels on as well. Because I too have heard like, well, if you're legally separated, that's basically a divorce. And then I've heard, well, in some states, legal separation or even separation, that's a make-believe word. So yes, thank you for asking that. And Mara, I'm going to ask you to explain that to our listeners.
3: We don't have legal separation in the state of Florida. There you go. Okay. But other states do. And what does that mean? New York does. So in Florida, we don't have legal separation. And what we do is for people who are not really sure. They're kind of on the fence. An issue has happened. They should have maybe done a prenuptial agreement. They're thinking about getting divorced. There's been some infidelity issues with money. Very often we do postnuptial agreements for those people. So we kind of contemplate there may be a divorce. And if there is, that postnuptial agreement will be translated into a marital settlement agreement. So we have, there are finite boundaries in terms of finance, finances and expectations.
1: Okay, but let's say, and Dr. Book and I certainly hope that our listeners are not just bound to Florida and we have listeners all over. Let's say we're in another state where separation or legal separation, I'm assuming that's the same thing, but maybe not. That is something. How does that differ from being divorced and the ink is dry and now the person can get remarried or they can date or I, you know, what is that piece?
3: So without giving your listeners legal advice, right? Of course, of course. Essentially what happens in New York, I practiced in New York legal separation. You have to be separated for a year and Mm -hmm. then you could get divorced. So you resolve all the issues and the separation agreement is then translated into a marital settlement agreement for a divorce.
1: So it's basically, we've dotted our I's, we've crossed our T's, we've figured it all out collaboratively or through mediation or whatever. But now the judge is saying, all right, not so fast. We're going to sit with this for a year. And if we're all on the same page in a year, come back and I'll sign off and be
2: on your way. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So that takes me to probably a Florida question, but another one that I've seen a lot of my friends struggle through is this concept of abandonment what is that? Is that a thing that you can't leave your own home? Otherwise you're abandoning it. Like I've never, I didn't understand it, but I have so many friends. Is it more that they just can't afford to leave the home and they don't have another place to go? Is there a terminology that if you find an apartment, therefore you've abandoned your, what is that? Help me.
3: Abandonment was a term of, it was a legal term where when you were in a state where there was faults. Okay. That was a grant. Of course, we don't have abandonment anymore. OK, we not have fault. Now, let's talk about leaving a house. Why would someone not leave a house? There are times where people say to me, I can't live here one more day. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving. The kids can stay with him. Now, I will say to that, it depends on the circumstance. Sometimes there's domestic violence. Sometimes there are threats. That's a different situation. But in the ordinary course, it's not a great idea. Why? Mm-hmm. Because you lose leverage. You move out of the house, you lose some leverage. You lose leverage with regard to a parenting plan, maybe with regard to finances. And also because the divorce is not settled and you're in the midst of it, you don't know how much money you're going to have available to you. You You're not going to know your cash flow, your liquidity. So you're making a commitment to lease an apartment. Listen, if there's tons of money. Those cases, it's a little bit different. Sure. Mm-hmm. You could do an advance equitable distribution, which basically means an advance on marital funds. Mm-hmm. All these cases are so fact specific. Mm-hmm. So, when Laura, you're talking about your friends and your clients saying to you, why is this person getting X and this person getting Y? Because everyone's case is so different. I have a case right now that my client, I know that she's been on the golf course talking to every single person. Everyone mm-hmm. has a divorce attorney. Everyone has a story, but her story is so different. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Again, as you said in in the intro, you know, it's not one size fits all. And this is a couture divorce, if you will.
3: (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It actually is. It's very customized and individualized. You know, there are some offices that do an intake and they serve this and and they press the button in 15 days. That's not how I roll.
2: Yeah. Mm.
1: Let me ask you this. Maybe I'm watching too many movies, which is probably the case, or totally. reading too many books, which is probably not the case, but I'd <laughs> like to pretend I'm a voracious reader. You hear from time to time, back to these cliches, she just won't sign the papers, or he he's just not signing. And then it goes on and on and on and on. At what point do you say, you know what, buddy, or lady, or whatever? Like, enough is enough is enough is enough. What is going on here? And does it actually have to be signed and filed in order to move on and get on with your life?
3: Yes, it has to be signed and filed (laughs) for the court to grant a divorce. I have that exact case right now. Um, My client is very, very, very fearful. We've gone to two mediations. Her husband has been extremely patient. And right now, She has to go to trial because Mm. judge has to, you know, it's kind of shit or get off the pot. A judge has to make a decision. Mm. Courts don't let cases just go on and on and on. That's why we'll get notifications. Even though I'm resolving it outside of the court, it's very important to know, again, not legal advice, general information. In order to draw a line in the sand, you have to do some sort of affirmative act. You have to file, right? Mm. yeah in order to differentiate marital versus non-marital assets. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you are in the court system. And if the court sees a case on the docket for a year and there's no activity, the judge is going to call you in and say, hey, what's happening here? What's going on? So it can't go on and on. There has to be an end in sight. Then I just wonder if
1: someone, and I'm not just saying it potentially be the woman who's like this damsel in distress who is just letting it drag on because they're scared. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of men too from the opposite side who are letting it drag on because they don't want to put the bill at the end of this. Right. But it's kind of like, are they doing it for the sake of doing it? I can't even really put my finger on the word I want to say, other than just the hoopla, the smoke and mirrors, what I just said. Either the damsel in distress, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. Maybe he or she'll change their Minds or the guy from, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because maybe we can renegotiate. And then at the end of the day, like all this time has passed. And to your point earlier about the kids, right? I know we as parents are only as happy as our unhappiest child, but I have also said time and time again, now being on the other side that our children, they may not know everything, but they're not as dumb and, yep. and idiot as we may think they are. They see, they hear, they smell, they have all the senses. And while I know divorce is painful and it sucks and and it's like the last straw, obviously, if you just can't figure out a way to work it out, Sometimes I feel that slow bleed and the longer you go for the quote unquote sake of the kids, you're doing more damage than if you would just rip the bandaid off. So Mara, I ask you, are there those tears of divorce where some of your clients do it when the kids are really young? Then there's that tier where like the t- young teenage years, maybe after like a confirmation or a bar or bat mitzvah. And then, of course, it's those empty nesters where the kids are off to college and there's nowhere to hide. What are your thoughts on that?
3: all Of the above, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of the above, and there's a new class, there's oh. a new group of people. Listen, I'm I'm I don't want to say I'm an older woman, but you know, I'm getting up there and um mature. and I have had several cases where clients have been in their 80s, married 40, 50. Wow, years. I had someone married 62 years. <gasps> yeah, so why?
2: Like, what's yeah, what
3: happened?
1: Motivation? What's Just, the motivation you
3: know, behind this that? Particular clients told me that she's been happy unhappy all these years, and she just never felt that she could do it. Mm. And now she feels brave enough to do it. And I spoke wow. to her yesterday, and the sad thing is she said, Mara, what if I we wait a little bit? And I said, listen, I'm only mirroring to you what you're telling me. You've been abused. You've been so, so unhappy. Mm. I want you to be happy. Yeah, you time's, time's running out. I'm going to help you do it we yes. could do this so it's very difficult and those cases become more complex because if there are commingled assets or if in this particular case her husband is 85 years old is hiding money Get a forensic accountant. Do you know how far back we have to go in time? They're Mm. married a lifetime. Wow. Oh my
2: God. Wow. But God bless her. And good for her. I mean, to get to that place in your life where you say, you know what? Like when she gets the confidence with your help, you know, to kind of pull the trigger, she might actually, if she hurries up a little bit, have a couple of years of seeing what real happiness is and what a gift. What a gift.
3: And peace. Mm -hmm. There's so many other beautiful things in her life. It's her time. Yeah. And, and part of my job is to really encourage my clients and let them know that it's going to be okay and I got them. And that is, you know, if you, for me, that's probably one of the most satisfying things because I actually, after most of my cases, my clients call me, can we have a drink? Can we go out to dinner? Can we do this? Can we do that? And it's not that I'm tooting my own horn, but it's because I really develop relationships because it's a very, very intimate relationship.
2: Yeah. And I love that. And you know, it's something that I say in the work that I do is that the curative factor of therapy is actually the relationship. It's not what technique I use. It's not what theory I come from. I could be, is doing one thing and another therapist can be doing another thing. But if you can't build that relationship and that person feel like you have their back and that they can trust you and be vulnerable and that you can take it on and you will stand up and say what it is that they don't want to necessarily hear but needs to be said and needs to be heard, that is priceless. And that really is what gives people the ability to make the changes and move forward in their lives. So, Mara, you're obviously a gift to your clients and and they're blessed to be able to have that experience And what a different experience it is than working with some of these um, egomaniacal sharks, as we call them, because a lot of times there is no relationship. It's this is how it's going to be done. We're going to bypass all of this BS and we're going to go straight in and we're going to get you this, this, this and this. But that's only one
3: factor in the divorce. The legal factor is only one factor. What about all the other factors? Right. Right. Logistics, the finances, the emotional, the children, the moving, the re-education—it has to be really comprehensive. What lawyers do, you're their quarterback. You're setting them up for success for the next chapter. That's why I say divorce different because I do it differently. I bring in professionals to really help my clients. We sit in meetings together. And we talk about what they want their life to look like and how it's going to be accomplished and what do the numbers look like. I'm always bringing in investment advisors because. Someone could get a million. What does a million dollars mean? Sounds like a lot of money. Really? Might not be that
1: much. And you know, you're teeing up the ball so beautifully for this next kind of I want to pivot a little bit because I love the fact that I'm sitting here with a divorce attorney and a therapist who, again, we want to protect Dr. Boca's license too. This is not real therapy. Obviously, if there's any triggers or any type of real issue you have here from a mental health perspective, we want you to reach out to whomever your mental health care professional is or Dr. Boca. But for the purposes of this podcast, this is not real therapy and this is not real legal advice. But back to my point, the fact that I'm sitting here with a therapist and a divorce attorney. The fact that I feel as though we're therapy adjacent and divorce adjacent and the combination of both of you together, Mara, to your point earlier that you said part of the the spoke of your wheel now in your practice is this coaching piece is so important because once you do sign the paperwork, right, and everything is done, then it's like, oh my God, be careful what you wish for. It just came true. Now mm. I'm sucking my thumb in the corner rocking. I mean, you know, and I <laughs> I speak from my own experience that like, <laughs> oh my God, what just happened here? And right. there's so many different components that, you know, I joke kind of with some of my television references, but there's like a show out there where it's like wife swap or super nanny. I always in my fantasy head think like, I would love to invite potential women or even men for that matter who are contemplating divorce to like step up to my humble abode one day and shadow what goes on here as a single mom, where for all intents and purposes, I have a very nice Post divorce relationship with my cohort of blendedness. Okay. But at the same time, it's really fucking hard. And yes, I said fucking hard. And I would love for people to really, before you're rushing to just say, I fucking hate his guts or she's a bitch or get me out of here or where do I sign? I want them to really see what it means on the other side. So I love the idea that you really do coach these clients through it. You bring in whether it's a financial advisor or a therapist or the accountant or the real estate agent or whomever. And you have a team of people that are working together as your village, like you said, to show these people, men and women, what happens. Um, and if you want to see what really happens in the unpolished world, you can put me on your list of like
2: people to call. <laughs> they may run from the hills and they may not want to get divorced. <laughs> We're try- <laughs> What goes on here? <laughs> right. We're trying to get this woman to get to this place. Place of finding peace. I know, and we're gonna send them to Rachel. We're gonna, but
1: listen, I'm a real life. I want to say a success story, but an unpolished success story because there's no phony baloney. I am calling it like I see it. I am right now, you know, in my pajamas, and when we hang up, I gotta hit the ground running, and I gotta get to work, and then I gotta do this, and then I gotta do that, and I'm doing it happily, but I'm tired because being a single mom is really fucking tiring.
3: So Rachel, I would love to have a conversation with you at another time to really find out how you would have done your divorce differently and just really to help other people. Yeah going through divorce. I would love what to. You and, you well, you can, forget
1: the coffee. Can we have it over drinks? Like yes. some of your clients say, can we go out for a drink or seven? It would be great because it would be wonderful to pick your brain about maybe what you would have done differently if had you had my case or now looking back as a Monday morning quarterback, what would I have tweaked or not? And, you know, sometimes looking back and maybe Dr. Boca, that's where you come in from the therapy standpoint of it's not, I wish I had done this or I wish I hadn't done that, but it's how do we move forward now, right? How do we take what we have faced with us and shift the perspective and find some, you know, Mara, we say here on the corner of Audacity and Vice, we like to find some meaning out of the mess or the madness. And I don't have regrets and I don't live with regrets, but it would be wonderful to sit with brilliant women and talk about the different choices and scenarios. And if I could help someone down the road, it would be my my ultimate apology pleasure.
2: I mean, I'm just listening. Gosh, I want to be like a fly on this wall or having the actual drink with you because I do think that we don't do the postmortem a lot of times. We don't have that opportunity to do the postmortem. And Rachel, you used a great word. You used choice. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the key when you're going through a divorce. Everything's a choice, right? You give up this for that. You choose happiness over misery. You choose to have the kids see a happy parent versus being stuck in something that's unhappy. You choose to stay for whatever reason you're choosing to stay. That's a greater, there's there's a weight there that's making the scale tip in favor of that versus leaving. I mean, it's always a choice. And I think so often we forget that that choice still exists, either because it's been buried for so long, as we talked about not knowing our self-worth or not knowing our abilities to be able to move forward, or what feels like we've had that choice robbed from us because we had kids or we gave up our job to support our husband. But everything is a choice. And until we're dead, we do have, at least in today, we have a choice. We just have to find that choice.
3: But Lori, that's where you come in. That's why your work is so, so important. Because when people are in fear mode, yes. When they're anxious, when they feel insecure and out of control, it's hard to really think about choices. Yeah. So working, that's why I always say that clients should really work with therapists to really unpack some of this stuff so that they're clear headed because Ultimately, it's not the lawyer's decision, it's the client's decision. And in order for me to really be effective with my clients, I have to work in partnership with them because I need to know where they want to go, Mm -hmm. not my life. Right.
1: So speaking of your life, and I don't want to get too personal, but as we're rounding out our time, and I know your time is really valuable and, and we really do appreciate you spending your morning with us, Mara, in the work you do day in and day out where you're basically trying to uncouple, if you will, if I take a phrase from Gwyneth Paltrow, uncouple a couple and you see the mess right? At the end of the day, do you still believe in matrimony? And do you think marriage works? And are you a proponent? I mean, I'm sure you're a lover of love, but you're probably jaded a touch from what you do for a living. So leave us with some final thoughts on marriage and love and and some words of wisdom from the wise attorney we have here this morning.
3: So yeah, I'm a believer. I mean, I had a very, very good marriage. And, you know, it's different for me because I wasn't divorced. My husband passed away, so I look at marriage very differently than Mm -hmm. someone who's divorced might look at it. But I think that most people say to me, why do you think people get divorced? Is it law? Is it sex? Is it money? And I think it is because of unrealized expectations. When you meet someone, they are who they are. And the more that you try and change that person, the more... Defeated you feel, and the more resentful the other person feels. Yep. And there's no acceptance. And that's really, really hard. And I think I'm going to write a book one day, and the title of his book is going to be uh, No Bot. Because I always ask people, is he different now than he was before? No bot. I thought mm. it was funny. <laughs> no bot. I thought if his mother died, no, but I thought when we had children Mm. and it's very, very difficult for people to change. And if you're looking for that and you're trying to fix someone up and change who they are and how they look at the world, you're only going to be disappointed. And there's only going to be a lot of resentment and resentment really is the killer of a relationship.
2: That's exactly what I was going to say. If you get to that place where there's resentment and just this almost an apathy, Right. It just, it breeds so much disdain. Yeah. Contempt. Contempt. That is actually the word I was looking for. Isn't
1: there a famous, again, cliche? We don't like them, but familiarity uh, breeds contempt. Familiarity
2: breeds contempt. Contempt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's true. And I also think that part of relationships that does make it difficult is that we do try to evolve in those relationships. Nobody wants to stay stagnant. And then the question is, does that other person have the ability to evolve with us or are things like ego or are things like control or whatever standing in the way or fear. I mean, fear is a huge one that gets in the way of relationships all the time. So you start to see things like, oh, no, I have to change that in that person. And I always say to them, change it in you, change what, you know, change your understanding or change your tolerance or change your need to try to change somebody. That's where you can actually be productive
1: this always happens. It's like we're at the end of our conversation and now we're really getting into the nitty gritty, right? But Dr. Boga, as you were saying that, what's regurgitating for me is the need to have to say then that like, that's why I'm in awe of some, again, I can count on less than one hand, those few couples that have really withstood the test of time that have ebbed and flowed together that, and again, I know we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but I have this admiration for the couples that have the longevity, that have learned how to grow and evolve together, having respect, or even if there's been some dips that they've worked through it. And Mara, I wonder, you know, because again, in your practice, you're seeing all the quote unquote failures. And Dr. Boca, I don't want you to nitpick my word of failure, because I know sometimes people who get divorced, that's actually a success that they realize that the marriage failed and now they're doing something about it. But marriage, do you see in your, you know, in in your personal world, when you shut down the shop for the day, right? Can you spot the happy couple? Can you spot the couple that, oh, they're they're never going to be in my office? Do you have any thoughts on that? Being a believer in love and, and knowing that good
3: marriages do exist out there. Nothing is perfect. Relationships, they ebb and flow and they change over time. And, as long as there's there's respect mm-hmm, mm-hmm. respect, then I don't know how I feel about the institution of marriage. I okay, don't know if fair are really meant to be monogamous for decades and decades. yeah, I don't yeah. know, I don't know, yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. I don't know either. If we did, you know, we'd be a lot bigger than this little podcast of ours on the corner of Audacity and Advice.
2: (laughs) Well, and I think to that point, a friend of mine always says to me, do you realize how often you have told me this? And one of the phrases that I use is it works until it doesn't. And what that sets people up for is that every day is a conscious choice. Going back to that word, every day is a conscious choice to say, this is what I want to put my time into, my energy into, my dedication and respect into, my communication towards. And at some point, if you're consciously thinking of that, right, Mary you were saying we lose perspective and we lose that ability to kind of have clarity. When we put that as our intention and we focus on that, then we can We'll see you next time have that in this moment and it works, right? And if we set it up like that, so I don't know about monogamy, not monogamy, marriage institution, I don't try to buy into any or disarm any of those. But what I do say is today's the day, like this is all we have and make that choice to be intentional about the relationship and how often, especially when you bring kids in and money and in-laws and you know affairs or all that shit that you see, right? How often we no longer are making an intentional choice choice to be present in the relationship and it falls to the bottom of the totem pole. And that's where the resentment, the anger, the frustration, and the contempt starts to breed from. So I never realized how often I would say this to people when they ask, but somebody reflected it back to me. And I do think that I'm not tooting my own horn. I don't always give the best advice, but that one, I think is like a, a fair very, one to say with. That's
3: such good advice. You know, relationships need tending to. Yeah.
2: And again,
3: my advice sucks. So
1: <laughs> those of you may want to turn the <laughs> podcast off now, but I would say, you know, that as they say, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's only greener where you water it. So that's my advice for this podcast,
2: (laughs) but it's great advice. We have to put attention to it. And that's why Marit was so important to have you on here, because I think that you really do bring attention to the important aspects of how difficult a situation like a divorce is and how you can make it so that even in spite of the fact that it is so difficult, how you can come out at the other side and keep your respect, keep your relationship and evolve it into a different way, whether it's co-parenting, whether it's amicable partnership, you know, raising these children or not having these children, but being able to sit at a holiday dinner as a divorced family, but a family that once was in love and respected each other. And so I kudos to you. A situationship. Oh, I like that. A ship. So, yeah, we we have a situation ship happening here, but I
1: love a situation.
2: That. And, and I grew up in a situation ship, and it was a beautiful way to grow up because we as kids were able to see that even though mommy and daddy, for lack of a better word, mommy and daddy loved each other, that doesn't mean just because they loved each other, they should be necessarily together. Maybe they're better friends, maybe they're better partners in business than they are partners in a marriage. Doesn't mean they can't be in a situation.
3: Yeah. And also, you know, it's not only the emotional part. Why blow up everything that you've built for mm -hmm. all the money that you've made during the marriage, all the things that you've worked so hard for and destroy everything. That's the other thing that people really, really have to think about, because that's what contentious divorce
2: litigation does. Mm hmm. Yeah. At least you can walk out with a little bit.
1: I'm exhausted. I mean, I need the drink now. I mean, divorce is is exhausting. It's a mental drain, I have to tell you. I
3: love being being here with you guys. It's been really great. Thank Thank you for being with us.
1: We will most definitely link Mara's information to the episode notes. But for those of you who have questions or concerns, or you just sort of want to dabble in divorce. You know, you can find Mara at www.marabernsteindivorce.com. She's got a whole slew of other handles and whatnot. But again, we'll link that up at the bottom. I hope no one out there wants to get divorced. But if you do want to get divorced, Mara Bernstein's your gal. And we are so appreciative of your time and attention today. I always say to our guests, once a guest of the show, forever a guest, and certainly a friend of the show. I hope you'll come back. I'm going to take you up on your offer to hang out and we'll talk divorce over some cocktails.
2: Final thoughts, Dr. Boca, anything you want to add in as we wrap up this morning? Listen, I love Mara and I love her style. And you know, as a relationship-driven therapist, I love that there's a relationship-driven divorce attorney that's out there, I think it is wonderful that, Mara, you're a woman. I think that that helps these evolved men feel comfortable. It helps women feel comfortable. I mean, we can have a whole discussion about evolved men at some point. (laughs) And can we find one for... Rachel, potentially, in the future. But that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother. There we go. We're not going to litigate that. We're going to collaborate that. (laughs) There you go. And so I just love that. And I love celebrating good people and sharing and dialogue with them. So thank you, Mara. And to our listeners, we hope that we were able to debunk some of the myths and some of the words, just some of the unknowns that are out there and kind of break up what you all think are such terrible things about divorce and try to put it in a, a very palatable way and understand it doesn't have to be uh, war of the roses. So thank you, Mara, for that.
3: Thank you. It's been great. Thanks,
2: everyone. For those of you out there, if you have questions,
1: comments, or concerns for Dr. Boca or myself, you can always find us at unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at unpolishedtherapy. We're actually in litigation with Twitter. So we're untherapy on Twitter. But again, we have to get our attorneys involved there. It's It's a big mess. We're not doing collaborative work with Twitter. But we want to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Subscribe to Unpolished Therapy if you haven't already, and we will see you next week on the corner of Audacity and Advice, where our wheels and yours get spun upside down. Thanks, everyone.
0: Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone. Like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now, and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage.